Aló. Come in. Oye, ¿qué hola? Ay, es así, 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 así. <laughs> hola, dude. Hey, man. Uh, just going to jump right in if you're, if you're down. Yeah, what's up, man? All right, so welcome, everybody. KJ52 Podcast, episode 16. This one is entitled Eminem and Alpha Males. <laughs> so let's first things first let's get this out of the way uh you think the new eminem album is trash you think he's fell off you think uh there's a cutoff age and he passed it is that correct yeah that makes that makes sense <laughs> that let makes me uh sense. let me let me let me say this first off uh, the only reason i'm kind of jumping into this i've had multiple people hit me up about the new eminem album revival um for some reason, people always want my opinion about Eminem. I don't know why. Apparently, I'm his uh, his brother's keeper. I don't know. Um, this this kind of ranks into this weird symbiotic relationship I have with that short guy from Detroit. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it's it's interesting. But anyway, um, I wasn't any I wasn't really in any sort of rush out to hear it. But you know, you can't help just living in America to hear, you know, what some people consider the biggest rapper on the planet. And uh, some of the stuff kind of slid into my into my front view about the new album. Uh, I'll I'll talk about my opinion on it in just a second, but I was curious to see because you kind of hit me up. You're like, "Yo, have you heard this this garbage, this het, wet hot piece of <laughs> flaming Cheetos bag?" <laughs> yeah, man. But go yeah, ahead. So you were saying uh, you felt like uh, the flow was off, correct? Yeah, I mean, there, there are a couple of things on the album that are dope. You know, um, some of the beats are some of the beats are, are cool. Um, the he's got people he's got people featured on there. From what I remember, Ed Sheeran and Alicia Keys. So it's kind of I mean, he, his hooks are dope with these people because it's kind of hard to not have a dope hook when you have yeah. Ed Sheeran and Alicia Keys on there. You know what I mean? Yeah, they they kind of did okay for themselves. Yeah, yeah, they were catchy hooks. So, I mean, so that's, I think that for me, that was like the best thing about it. Um, I had to listen to the, the new Eminem album just because I had no idea it dropped, but just people were putting so much about it um, that I'm like, you know what, let me hear it. Because people were saying so many negative things about it. I'm like, let me just hear it, you know, right? So I heard it, and it was just, man, I was just so... I don't want. To, I don't know if disappointed is the right word for it because I don't. I don't listen to Eminem anymore and really any secular music, um, yeah. secular rap. But when I heard him, I'm just like, man, like his, just from a an MC and from a from producer's perspective, like just the flow sounded off to me. His um, his punchlines, some of them like for me were just kind of like corny and um. Like they weren't really hitting, and I just felt like the overall tone of it. It was just, it just seemed like an older dude trying, like just dying to stay, you know, relevant. And and I think that for a lot of uh, like older rappers, it's like they, they, he put. I felt like he put so much into it trying to be relevant that he lost it. He lost like the Eminem um, reason why people wanted to listen to them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have like, I have different theories as far as like why I think older rappers kind of fall off um, or 
are just not as dope as you once thought they were. I mean, there's so many different theories, but I don't know if you wanted to get into that now. Oh, I see. I see what you did there. <laughs> I see what you did there. Seeing as you're an older rapper, I see what you did there. Is that your bump? Is that your bump no. set spike volleyball move right there? <laughs> no, it, it does. It is a. It, you know what? That's a great. That's a great statement because it's true. I mean, granted, the hip hop generation is uh, we're still very young as a as a genre period. So a lot of these things we're just trying to figure out. But you're right. You don't really hear of uh, any rappers on the other side of 40 making their seminal album, so to speak. You know what I mean? Um, It seems like you do hear guys that kind of get some records that are sort of critically lauded. I think Jay-Z's 44 or 444 record seemed like was kind of well-received. Obviously, that guy's pushing 50. Um, But outside of that, you don't hear... uh, We have yet to really experience someone that's on the other side of 40 making their thriller or making their you know right. illmatic or whatever you want to say and and maybe that just has to do with the fact that these guys all made their mark when most of us were very young and so it's hard to compare how you think at 25 versus how you think at 45 you know what i mean you know yeah. what I mean? so there is something about the struggle and and having nothing and coming from nothing to something that you know lends itself to great albums so to speak you know what i mean especially when you're young because you identify with the, with the uphill battle but um, I I actually you know I, I breezed through it. Um, I didn't pay it pay for it because it kind of showed up on my Spotify or whatever. But I said, let me find out what's going on here. And it's funny because there was about two or three songs that honestly really moved me emotionally. And maybe it's just because I am in a similar state situation. But he has a song called "Bad Husband," and he talks about being a great father but being a bad husband. Now, I'm not saying I feel like I'm a bad husband and a great father, but I can understand the struggle. It's a lot sometimes easier to love your kids because you can do that very unconditionally than to be a great spouse because a lot of times we haven't been given great examples of what it means to be a great spouse. You know what I mean? So for a lot of us, I think, especially those that married maybe younger, a lot of us, it's on-the-job training. You know what I mean? So... Now, granted, I haven't written 17 songs about stuffing my wife in the trunk and (laughs) X, Y, Z, so I don't have a lot to repent of. But I can, you know, relate to the experience of trying to juggle music and a career and a family and and being a husband. And 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 probably maybe I'm a little closer to the situation because you know my contact with Kim Mathers back in the day, and you know obviously my connection from Dear Slim and things like that. So. That one kind of spoke to me, and then the, like the one where he talked about, um, you know, almost dying, and uh, where he uh, almost passed, dies, and he plays out the scenario of actually dying, and um, you know, and what his drug addiction and things like that. Like those two songs, I thought from a storytelling perspective and transparency perspective, were really executed well. Um, there was, to me, a, you're right. There was a lot of throwaway filler. Um, I don't know. I'm even to the point now these days where I just listen to most albums just once and then I'm pretty much done. I don't really go back to a lot of records anymore. And I don't know if that's yeah. just because of time constraints or things like that. But, but you're but right. It does. Two things, though. I think, I think that's that? two different things though, right? I think it's two different things where like there are certain things in the songs that I was listening to that I can take away from. Um, yeah. Like I take away the overall message 
but I think like from for me like sonically you know just hearing it is is one thing um delivery is another thing that make it whole and then the message behind it you know because there are certain songs that i can that i can listen to and i'm like dang like for most of the eminem songs like it breaks my heart for him and uh i go yeah. back to your song dear slim and that one line in the dear slim song that stands out to me the most is um you know it was replying to one of the things he says like you say you're going to hell, but it doesn't have to be that way, you know? And I just feel like um, throughout his songs, like every time I hear a song, I just feel like replying to Eminem, be like, you know, that's not the way it needs to be, you know? Like, you don't have to think that way. He he mentioned a lot his battle with self-esteem, his battle with depression, and that he has, you know, that he has low self-esteem and his his ongoing battle of how other people want to continue to bring him down and the assumption yeah. that he's doing that he's doing fine or he's doing well when in reality he's not, he feels empty, you know? And yeah, you know, so I, I always, you could always take from Eminem from his songs and his albums. You can always get his heart from it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. If he feels like trash, he's going to tell you he, he feels like the worst type of trash. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's interesting. You say that. And I don't think I really understood a lot of things better until, um, a, a couple months ago I did what was called the best day ever for Detroit. And it's where I partnered with a church there called the uh, the Hope Center. And we just basically did a free show and had a clothing fund drive uh, while I was doing a couple dates in Michigan. And um, before I flew home, I had a rental car. And I just had, I think I had like an extra eight hours to kill. So I had done some graffiti art at the church and then I was pretty much done. And so I said, you know what, I am going to, to the best of my ability, sort of retrace the steps of this guy to maybe give me a better understanding from his own perspective. And so I actually was able to find like multiple addresses where he lived and go to those original spots. I was able to go to the, you know, the famous St. Andrews hall where, you know, Eminem did his battle raps and, you know, where eight miles kind of based on and just even go to the trailer park where they shot eight mile. And so like, I was kind of on this, like, Okay, let me put myself in his perspective. I even went and like ate at the restaurant he used to work at, right? So, and I and you know I'm a nerd about stuff like this. Like I'll go like to the original shooting locations for like movies I love, and like I'm not just the type of person that just experiences something. Like I try I try to like see it from all angles. And so while I did that, right, and I'm driving to these original places, and and I'm just seeing. Now, granted, this is years removed from I'm sure when he was there, but. I'm just seeing the utter uh, desolation of certain areas of Detroit while I'm driving through here. And I'm like, I'm on a street where there's 17 burnout houses. And it's not like it's on one street. I'm talking like street after street after street after street. And you realize, you, you just begin to understand the feeling of of just isolation and desperation and oppression that, you see on the faces, and this isn't just a Detroit thing. I mean, this is any major inner city, but or anywhere really. To be honest with you, it's not limited to city place. But the point was, is I began to kind of understand what he must have gone through, and and I can't ever really understand it. But my experience as a white guy growing up in a black neighborhood, I always thought was similar to his. But the reality was, it's not. My experiences were unique to me, and Florida is much different than Detroit. And as you begin to drive around, you begin. I began to understand a lot of things better. The feeling of, and this was in like 
the summertime, so it wasn't even freezing out. But I was thinking, what is it like to live in this town where, like, you know, you deal with the cold and the snow and the lack of jobs and the lack of resources. And, you know, you talk about the racial dynamics of a city that, you know, they have this story of the Great White Flight where all the white people abandoned downtown Detroit and it left the city just bankrupt. And it's always been recovering from there. And so, and then, you know, obviously my connection with, like, knowing people that know his family and, and, and also understanding the fact that he probably is obsessive-compulsive. And many of my loved ones have OCD. Even though I don't, I see the anguish and the self-doubt and the constant repetitiveness that OCD formulates. Um, it makes you really great at some things, and it makes you almost debilitated in other areas. So all that kind of like gave me a better understanding of what would make this guy such a musical genius and also such a tortured soul all at the same time. And, um, you know, Dear Slim was never supposed to be some campaign to, like, save Eminem, but it's indicative where a lot of people are. A lot of people are just simply trying to rise above their circumstances, you know? Yeah. And I listened to the album with sort of all that in mind, and maybe that gave me a unique perspective where other people just listen to it on a surface level, like, I don't like that beat. It sucks. This rapper, this guy's done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? But, um... All that's kind of neither here nor there. I was just curious what you thought, uh, you know. And, and and the thing is, too, I thought it was interesting. It's like hip-hop's getting older. It's like, you know, you can come in in your 20s and talk about drugs and gangbanging and X, Y, Z. But it's like, dude, 15 years later, like you're a dad with a mortgage and a, and kids. <laughs> yeah. You know what Crazy. I'm saying? And this and this is kind of funny for me because, like, I've, I've had to – you know, people want want me to be known for one thing. It's like I'm not in that thought process anymore. I can't right. and I can't create something that's not me. So I've realized the challenge for like doing music as you get older is just finding new ways to be inspired. You know what I mean? It's like your skills yeah. and your creativity don't lead you leave you, but your inspiration can definitely leave you. You know? Yeah, for sure. And for sure. and when when you've got millions and millions of dollars on the line it creates a whole nother dichotomy. You know, I've, I'm at a point here now where I, there's no, there's no pressures on my back. So I make music for the sheer joy of making it. And I feel like almost the music I'm making now is better because it comes from a purer place. Like I have the experience of someone who's done it for a long time, but it's like, I have the freedom now that, you know, people aren't, you know, the expectations are off. It makes it so much easier for me to create. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's a little awkward also. I mean, I think you can, can totally relate where um, as fans, even if it's not in a bad intent, but we want to hold the artist into um, that nostalgic moment that we fell in love with that artist or, right. when, you know, when he first came out and that hunger that he had when he first came out. You know, we want it. We want – that's how we want to remember the artist, right? But if you right. think about it, um, it's, it's, also, it's also not like – totally the best thing. Like, if we look at it in the secular world with Jay-Z, when he was, many years ago when he first started out, and he's rapping about, you know, uh, I'll be forever macking. Me giving my heart to a woman never happened. I'll be forever macking, right? I was one of his right. lines. But he got married. He has right. dual <laughs> kids, right? So we can't right. hold him, but that's not where his life is anymore. Right. But then the problem is, it's like you do you want to hold them to that standard and then 
when they start to make stuff that's considered more mature, what do we do? <laughs> yeah, you, you broke up. What'd you say? Right. I'm sorry. I'm saying. So uh, you're right. So we want them to grow, right? We want artists to grow. But when they maybe they start rapping about more mature subject matter, we're like, man, I don't want to hear Jay Z talking about a generational wealth and his daughter. You know. <laughs> What a sellout. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> right, what a sellout. It's like, I can't relate to that. You know, it is funny. It's uh, We're very fickle fickle people. It's, it is it is like the new Star Wars Jedi movie where, you know, some people that have no reference point for Star Wars are like, ah, it was cool. It was just a cool movie. And then other people are like, no, nah, it's not, you know, fill in the blank of what the other seven movies were. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's yeah. funny, I brought my uh, I brought my six year old to go see the movie, right? And I won't give any spoilers, but he's a he's a huge Star Wars fan only because of the games. But he's he he he'll watch a Lego Star Wars version before he'll watch the regular Star Wars. <laughs> he'll play a Lego Star Wars game before he'll ever play a Star Wars game, right? So I'm thinking, okay, well, he'll want to go. He's, you know, he seemed like at six years old, like he wanted to go see the movie, right? And I can remember being around the same age where I was like super amped on Star Wars, right? So I just brought him, my my oldest, who is also excited, uh, couldn't go. Man, I'm telling you, within 30 minutes of being in that theater, that kid was doing somersaults off the back of the freaking seats because he was so bored. He is running up and down the aisles doing splits and tumbling and asking me questions and having to go to the bathroom 300 times. And I'm going bonkers. I'm like, I can't believe this. It's the worst day of my life. I can't believe it. And I'm thinking all all the other people in the the theater, like, why would you bring your kid, bro? So, like, it got to the point where he just kept, I kept just, like, stuffing food in his mouth, like, to keep, keep him quiet or to keep him calm. And even that didn't work. And, like, the most pivotal scene at the end of the movie all of a sudden, he's like, "Dad, I gotta, I don't, I'm bored." Like out loud, he says that. <laughs> oh man! So the most, so the most ironic moment to me was giving me, giving him my phone, putting him in the corner of the theater, out away from everybody, while he played a Star Wars game, and I watched the end of Star Wars. I'm like, this makes no sense. This kid is playing a game, not watching the movie, while I'm trying to watch the movie. No way. But then I realized. He, you know, it doesn't hold the same emotional connection to him, right? Like, if, if Legos just ran around on the screen for 700 minutes straight, he would have been fine. It's like, because that didn't happen, he doesn't have the same emotional connection. And all I could think of was like, oh, it's no different with music. Mm. You know? Yeah. And we always think our own perspective is always the, you know, the correct one, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> but just to shift, unless you, had, unless you had something else to say, I was going to shift gears a little bit on perspective. Go ahead. I didn't want to cut you off there. No, no, I was just going to say, no, no. you know, speaking of perspective, this this brings me to the second part of what I wanted to uh, to chat with you. With. We had actually done a, a video about this, and then I, unfortunately, like an idiot, I got it deleted. But um, Shout out to KJ. Perspective is funny because I, I do this college event, and uh, one of the guys came up to me, and he, his perspective was, he goes, man, I'm, I'm nice to girls. I treat them nicely. Uh, I thought that's what they wanted. They always put me in the friend zone and, you know, I give them options and I'm super sensitive and he's kind of telling me all this. 
And and while he's talking, I feel like I'm in slow motion. I'm like, no. You know, I mean, like seeing a car crash in slow motion. Because I already know everything he's doing wrong because of my own experience as a recovering nice guy, so to speak. Um, and it brought me to this thing that we had talked about before was like the principle of being an alpha male. And uh, he he was basically saying, you know, he was basically saying, look, I thought girls want nice guys, right? I thought girls want sensitive, nice guys that are considerate of their feelings. And it seems like when I do that, all that happens is I get put in the friend zone and I'm never, you know, you know, I get to hear the statement like, oh, I don't want to go out with you. You're like my brother. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I kind of, you know, I was trying to school him on, you know, it's like, that's not really what girls want. I mean, that's not to say they want jerks. I mean, but he, he kind of was like, why is it the guy that treats them badly and breaks their heart? They'll always go out with and the guy that's like there for them whenever they need them you know, gets friend zoned. And I was like, bro, first of all, being nice does not work in that context. Women do want nice men who are sensitive. I said, but before that, they want men who are leaders and who, you know, what they're looking for is to be protected and to provide it for and to be, uh, to be cherished and all those things do not translate to being a nice guy. You know what I mean? Because and he still was kind of like, he looked like one of those puppies, like with a question mark on their face, you know, they kind of tilt their head and they look at you like, <laughs> and I said, okay, I go, let me give you an example. I said, you know, how often do guys complain that women cannot make up their mind on where they were, where they want to go eat? You know, you go, where do you want to go eat? I don't know. You pick. And then you pick and then they go, I don't want to go there. Right. And this goes back and forth and back and forth. And I, I understood much later was that the proper response is, Hey, we're going to go either here or here. Which one would you like to go to? And the difference being that one shows you have no plan and the other one shows that you do have a plan, but you are considerate of what they want too. Mm. And, yeah. and I was trying to relate that to him to make him understand. He's like, at the end of the day, they, you know, women want someone who is a protector and a provider and has a plan. And he yeah. sort of started to get it. I said, look, the reason why the women go for the bad guy is because that guy appears that he has a plan. Now, granted, he will treat them badly and break their hearts, and hopefully some women will learn from that at the end of the day, but they appear more like they have a plan than you do. Mm -hmm. Anyway, and I was, also, I was saying all that with the idea, I was, I've been reading a lot about David, King David you know, and how King David was very much the alpha male. He was very much like a leader, you know, on so many levels. Obviously, he was the king of Israel. But towards the end of his life, you know, the guy's whole life derails, and he stops being, he starts being this very passive king who kind of lets his kids go wild, and he ends up paying the price for it. Yeah. You know, in his own life and, and, and in the lives of others. But uh, you, had, you had brought up some really good points when we were talking about that. So uh, you mind uh, kind of repeating those things? Yeah, yeah. Because um, you're a married man. You're a married man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out to Jazz. Shout out to Jazz. Um, you propose? Yeah, did man, you propose uh, on your music video? Yeah, matter of fact, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and do my shameless plug. Make sure you YouTube Beloved Adventure, The Proposal, and you'll catch the whole thing. Um, Boom. But what I was, was going to say was, this idea of a nice guy, right? It's so popular, like you wanting to be the nice guy. But my question is, where did that come from? Like, where, 
I have no idea where being the nice guy was the the goal for for us as men. Like, where do we get that from? It's not biblical, you know. When I when when we think of the word nice, it, it, its definition um, is subtle. It the, a, a synonym for nice is subtle, and I and I just wonder where where do we get that from? You know, we're we're speaking also from a Christian perspective. You know, where in the Bible do we see yeah. that? You know, I think we I think we kind of yeah. distort. Um, and we put nice to be synonymous with love, you know, and, and being right. loving doesn't necessarily mean you got to be, be a nice person. When we look at biblical examples like yeah. King David, it, really what a man is called to be is one that that seeks after God's heart, wants, wants to imitate Christ. And even when we look at Christ's life, when he's speaking to people and he's, people are approaching him, he was authoritative. He, he had initiative. You yeah. know, he, he was confident. And I think those are the things that we need to chase after. we got to redefine what it means to be a man. Because even among the church, inside the church, we see that same exact thing. Men are being passive. Uh, men are not leading their household. Um, you know, yeah. women are the ones that are getting up going to church. Women are the ones that are getting these men to go there. And we need to redefine. And we gotta, we got to tell, these, we gotta tell these, these boys to man up and what exactly it looks like. Because it's not biblical, you know. Our view of Jesus, boys to men. Yeah, we got to get these boys to men. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> boys to men. This, this idea of Jesus. ABC, uh, BBD. Uh, who's that? Who's that? Oh, that's. Uh, I'm sorry. What'd you say? Motown Philly. Oh, Motown Philly. Is that what it is? No, no, Boys the Men, that's the group. Motown Philly back again. Oh, oh. ABC, BBD. Anyway, sorry. I totally derailed your statement. Please continue. <laughs> no, I was going to say, this idea that we even have with Jesus, we view Jesus the same way as a hippie, you know, always, you know, happy and passive and everything is good, you know. Like, that's not even, that's not the Jesus of the Bible, you know. So we got to, we got to remove this philosophy and, it's a mix-up of what a Christian man is supposed to be and back it up again with biblical foundation. Yeah, it's funny because Christ is never described as being nice. He's described as being a compassionate man. You know what I mean? He's described as, as being uh, one who was a friend of sinners, but you never hear him like, ah, oh, Jesus is a nice guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and certainly, you know, instances of where he grabs a whip and starts, you know, turning over tables in the temple – it's not really a nice guy move, you know what I mean? And it's definitely, a, I mean, it's a tightrope you have to walk because you're right, you have to be a servant leader, which seems like a contradiction if you think about it. But, um, you know, it, it, but if, if it, the contradiction would also be if you say he's the lion of Judah and he's the lamb of God. A lion and a lamb are two completely different animals with two completely different temperaments, but yet, that's kind of what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be a lion when it comes to leadership and not back down and stick to our guns and lead our pack. And yet a lamb where it comes to the idea that we are willing to be shepherded, you know, by, by, by the great shepherd all at the same time. And, um, yeah, well, I mean, you know, I think a lot of that comes from is just a lack of fathers in the household or bad examples by fathers. And I think it also has to do with just misunderstandings of Scripture. You know, I thought when I got saved, it's like, oh, it's time to turn the other cheek on everything. You know what I mean? Like, that just means yeah. I'm a doormat. That's what being Christ-like is, being a doormat. And it took me years to really 
learn how to do all that. And I kind of was la- raised in a bit of a liberal kind of home, you know what I mean? So I had to de-learn some of that stuff too. Uh, and I'm still learning what that means. But, um, you know, I just want to shout out to all my fellas. I, got, I know I got a lot of men that listen to my podcast. And I'm realizing that uh, those guys, are most of them, are just out there trying to do their best. And sometimes they don't have the best examples. And a lot of it is on-the-job training. But yeah. if you do study the life of Christ, you know, and even study study guys like David who did a lot of things right and a lot of things wrong. And it's like you can kind of eat the meat and spit out the bones all at the same time. So, but anyway, I'm actually in the line to pick up my kid. I do have to jump off here. But as usual, man, I appreciate you. Uh, thanks you for jumping in with this. And, uh, yeah, bro. Handy no problem, bro. I appreciate you, man. All right, later, guys. Talk to you all soon.